Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good evening, Jundo. How are you today? I am very fine, but uh, boy, we have uh, one of those big topics to deal with today. What, the heat wave in Japan or the coming typhoon? No, no. it's uh, something that's been in the news. Keep guessing, keep guessing. Um, gun violence. Uh, July 4th, there was gun violence to celebrate yeah, Independence Day, freedom. Yeah, unfortunately, that's true, but we did that. No, this is... Uh, Another hot-button issue involving religion and society, and it is abortion and women's rights. And that's why two more middle-class white guys are going to <laughs> mansplain, yeah, yes. are going to sit here and mansplain this issue. I just want to point out that this is not a political podcast, and we're not really talking about this from a political point of view, but from a Buddhist point of view. We are. We're going to mansplain it. From a Buddhist point of view, uh, with this Buddhist sausage fest that we have here, yes, that is exactly what we're going to do. I think we should call this Buddhist-planing. Yeah, we're going to Buddhist-plane it. That is exactly <laughs> uh, how we're going to... And, and I have spent, because I wanted to sound like I actually knew something and was uh, informed on this, I've spent uh, several days reading everything I could get my hands on on this issue. Uh, I didn't want, did not want to... Uh, mislead our uh, readers with false information. No, these days you can just make stuff up. It's the internet, you know. <laughs> you know, who cares? You know, I just could. I could say abortion is, you know, is uh, the Buddha, uh, you know, forbid it or didn't forbid. It. No one would, you know, who knows? But I did actually look into this, and uh, here's my conclusion: nobody knows. Nobody knows. So I didn't have to research anything to find out, because really nobody has. Uh, a definitive uh, orthodox or uh, one traditional opinion, like many things involving religion and uh, ethical issues, uh, it is in, uh, as the Buddha said, in the eye of the beholder. Well, the Buddha never actually said that. It is. I'm sure that I've seen in passing tons of articles about abortion and contraception and things like that from a Buddhist point of view. Are you saying Buddhist that there's no points of view? Points of view, right? You're saying there's no one monolithic point of view that everyone agrees on. the The Buddhist Pope has not chimed in on this. Well, it turns out even the Pope Pope. Uh, it depends which Pope you ask, because I just learned as part of my research the other day that even the Catholic Church really forbade abortion only in the late 19th century, and before that, they kind of uh, how to say. Uh, they lit some incense and looked the other way on the issue. Well, one thing to be aware of is that the, what we're seeing today is laws in the United States that criminalize abortion from the moment of conception. But the Catholic Church used to assume that the moment at which a, a child has, I don't know, 
is alive is what's called the quickening when the mother can feel the baby move in the womb. And that can be, I don't remember when my son was born, but it was several months after my ex-wife got pregnant. So it's not so much abortion was frowned upon by the Catholic Church, but after a very specific time. Well, it turns out that that is pretty much what happened in Buddhism too. And if you look at uh, various uh, sutras and uh, old writings and commentaries, it was a matter of when is conception? When does, in a rebirth process, life commences? And that was uh, anywhere from the moment of conception. Some people said a few weeks. Some people said as as late as several months. There was quite a bit of difference on this. There is no definitive answer, it seems, in Buddhism, nor do Buddhist countries agree on this at all. I found that if you look around uh, Buddhist countries of Asia, you will find uh, some very hardliners. Burma right now is probably the most hardline. So that may be actually due to the British influence. You guys there in Britain, Mm. you're the guys who came in there and imposed that morality on the Burmese. The traditional view might actually have been also kind of a look the other way. In other words, the poor women in many of these countries for centuries just, well, how to say, they had their traditional means to end a pregnancy. And Buddhism. I'm not saying it encouraged it, but it didn't, you know, it didn't strictly condemn the woman. And she had to deal with it herself. And this is still the truth in Burma and many places in in Asia. So what about in Tibet, where they are convinced that the the big... The bigwig tulkus are reborn in specific people, and they go in search of them, following the signs that they get. Do they assume that this happens at the moment of death? Would the transfer of whatever the life force is be made if there's a conception at the moment of the death of the big tulku, or is this like splitting hairs and like tulkus in the head of a pin and that kind of thing? First of all, you just embarrassed me because in all my research, I suddenly realized I looked at Burma, I looked at Sri Lanka, I looked at Korea, I looked at Taiwan. I forgot to check Tibet. Oh, my. Because Tibet is an interesting case. The fact that these important figures in Tibetan Buddhism are considered to be reborn in young children. And the Dalai Lama was found after following signs and was raised from a young child to be the Dalai Lama. I did find some articles by the Dalai Lama where, in his usual way, he kind of stepped on both sides of the issue. Hmm. Yes, but no. Yeah. And we have to examine this closely. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's a cultural relativist, but he's kind of a pragmatist and a modernist in some ways. Yeah. And I think the situation there has been that women, too, for centuries, had to have abortion the traditional way. What I discovered in Burma, it's a terrible thing. They use various herbs that are, are poison to sicken the woman. Mm. so that she has a miscarriage. They have something called tumbling, where uh, someone comes in and knows where to punch the woman properly in the stomach until the baby is aborted. Yes, yes. They also have, in many of these countries, just straight up female infanticide. Yeah. Uh, Particularly in China, that's why there's a big problem in China where 
girls are either aborted or removed. So there is a higher number of men and there are too many single men because there aren't enough women right now. There has been actually some reform the other way. In both South Korea and Thailand in, you'll never guess what year, uh, I'll tell you, 2021, Mm. there was a great legalization of uh, abortion, not necessarily uh, total, but in one case, I believe in um, Thailand, it there's still kind of social disdain for it. And in South Korea, it was more of a legal technicality, they found. And there's still a lot of legal looking the other way. A lot of it is the pressure from the, the Christian churches, not just Buddhism on this issue in South Korea, of course, because it's a very right. Christian country. But, you know, those countries are, are going becoming more liberal about abortion as America is going the other way. Ireland recently uh, legalized abortion in certain situations as well. And Ireland, being a very Catholic country, was often against it. Now, I want to ask you something. You, having been a lawyer in a previous life, you have a different viewpoint of this Roe versus Wade case that was overturned. And what I didn't understand and what I read recently is that the, the case itself was not about abortion. It was about privacy. Yes, which is a right that is not clearly specified in the Constitution, but was found to be implied. Uh, This I remember from my constitutional uh, law class at Duke University uh, some 30-odd years ago, Right, uh, which is about the only thing I remember from that class some (laughs) 30-odd years ago. But uh, yes, and uh, it looks like uh, the court may, if it keeps going in this direction, is now going to go against uh, gay marriage. And maybe even contraception itself. And even interracial marriage, which is a bit surprising because Clarence Thomas is married to a white woman. Yes, it's interesting how uh, he would vote on that particular issue. Yes. (laughs) Well, he would probably have to recuse himself, I would think. But let's not drown in legal technicalities. I mean, I wanted to bring it up because you are or were uh, a shyster, sorry, in a previous life. Mm. Um, But get, get back to the Zen point of view on women's rights to choose to control their bodies and all of that. There isn't one. That's my point. And uh, many people, again, assume that Buddhism has to be this incredible uh, latte-drinking, BMW-driving, liberal (laughs) California religion where everybody uh, basically um, is uh, a leftist if you're a Buddhist. And it's just not that way in Asia. And it has not even been that way for everyone in America and Europe. I know some very conservative American Buddhists who believe in the right to life. They take that first precept about preserving life very seriously. And for them, they are anti-abortion, Republican voting, and sometimes they're actually gun-owning too, Buddhists, <laughs> yes, you know, who are just, uh, you know, just like uh, many people who uh, are on the that part of the political spectrum these days. But in Asia, it is a conservative religion. And the government, mm-hmm. which is mostly run by men, has in many cases taken a tough stance on women, though the realities are, again, for centuries, they have had to look the other way. I found a quote from the Dalai Lama. He said, uh, in 1993, he said, of course, abortion from a Buddhist viewpoint is an act of killing and is negative, generally speaking. But it depends on the circumstances. I think abortion should be approved or disproved according to each circumstance. So as you say, he 
treads. What, is he on running both for office? And... <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a Ford, if unless I'm against it. I'm not putting down the Dalai Lama because I'm, yeah. I'm as, as much as a man commenting on women's rights. I'm now a, a, not a Tibetan Buddhist commenting on Tibetan Buddhism, which we shouldn't do. But I think his point is valid, and I know someone who. Uh, some years ago had a pregnancy and the fetus, I don't know if it was already dead or was was not able to go to term and had to go through, uh, technically it's an abortion, but it's like, it was like, it was like five months. So this is a, a relatively late period and it was not viable. And I know the pain that this woman went through and this absolutism of Americans who are anti-abortion to want to prevent that, or the 10-year-old girl who was raped in Ohio and is pregnant and they're not allowing her to abort and she has to go to another state. I, this, is, this is a level of cruelty that's unimaginable. Look, I'm an avowed Buddhist monitor, I, and I, I don't really care what the Buddhist consensus was 100 years ago or even today in many conservative places. Let the Burmese Buddhists do their thing. Uh, I'm sorry for the women who are caught in this in Burma, but uh, if they if there are conservative Buddhists, let let them be conservative. But for me, again, life does not begin at conception. It's a group of cells. Later, um, there's a question when you may want to draw a line. I don't have an answer to that, neither a legal answer or an ethical answer. And I know it's always hard. But the situation in Japan, where where I am, is just different from anywhere else. Ask me about that, Kurt. Well, how does it work in Japan? Well, again, for centuries, women did it the traditional way. Mm. And it's not really uh, something that is encouraged by Buddhism, but it was, again, tolerated. But what happened was, after World War II... Japan enacted a surprisingly liberal abortion law in, I believe, 1946, if I'm correct, that allowed abortion not only for health reasons, but for economic reasons. And at one time, it is a statistics report that there were upwards of 2.7 million abortions per year in Japan at the height. Now, then the pill came and some other uh, contraception became more available, but abortion here is still pretty much readily available. Hmm. It's expensive. It can cost uh, over a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars. You do not get abortion here cheap, right? Which is kind of an economic barrier to very people. But Buddhism. Now, here's the thing: Buddhism has made a fortune out of it. Really? Yes. Oh, let me guess. They do services to um, for the for the expired fetus or something. You got it. Now, uh, after World War II, what also happened is uh, Buddhist temples began struggling for economic support. You know, a lot of them lost their lands. There were changes in society. Uh, a lot of them turned to funerals mm. and memorial services as their main source of income. But then one other thing happened. They realized that a lot of women, especially families, men too, began to feel a certain guilt. Uh, when there was a miscarriage, they would worry about the, they would feel for the lost child too, but also mm. for an aborted fetus. And not only guilt, this is not widely known, but it's, they feel that there may be a certain, how to say, haunting or curse 
from the lost fetus who, if you do not appease it in the other world, may come back and cause all kinds of trouble. Is this a sort of a Shintoist thing? No. The, no? Well, well, maybe Shintoist, but I'm just going to call people think that way. It's a popular religion. And, right. And, it's and I it's don't just know, the way Japan works. I would say it's Buddhist, too. And I'm saying a lot of the, the Buddhist temples didn't dissuade people from this belief. Mm. They offered to perform services, and you would uh, purchase a little Jizo statue, often dress it very cutely in little baby clothes, which and offer toys, and it would be kept at the temple, and the mother could come and have services done as a kind of uh, appeasement of the child, an, an apology to the child mm-hmm. in the other world. And um, you will go to temples in Japan where you will see perhaps hundreds, it's, it's kind of very beautiful in its way, of little tiny childlike Jizo Bodhisattva statues, often dressed in bibs with rattles or, or little toy cars next to them, lined up there, each one representing a child who was not born prematurely for one reason or another. So I've just found an article on Wikipedia talking about Mizuko Kuyo, which is the That's Water it. Child Memorial Service. And there's an interesting photo of these Jizu statues at a, uh, a temple in Japan. Um, reasons for the performance of these rites can include parental grief, desire to comfort the soul of the fetus, guilt for an abortion, or even fear of retribution from a vengeful ghost. Yes. Now, the Buddhists uh, in Japan... Uh, are also critical of themselves for doing this sometimes. I don't want to want you to think that it's also debate within uh, Japanese Buddhism about whether this should be done as much as it is. But uh, there are also some beautiful Japanese beliefs about this, that, you know, a child who is not fully born only is dipping a finger or a toe in this world until even up to the first year. The body is not fully occupied by the the spirit of the child. But it's more that it takes a while for someone to fully get into the body. And if a child uh, is, uh, for example, miscarried, they go back to this other world and try again later. Mm. So there's not the feeling that, oh, we're killing someone necessarily. It's more like we're delaying. We're talking about abortion mostly, but miscarriage is a big problem that is starting to be criminalized in a number of states in the U.S. And I I find the hypocrisy of this to be really problematic because who is the cause of the most miscarriages in the world? You mean intentional miscarriage? No, no, unintentional miscarriages. Are criminalized? There are states where there are laws that are coming into effect where you can be investigated for murder if you have a miscarriage. Oh, investigated so, for murder. Right. Well, you could be charged with murder, potentially. You have to somehow prove that it was an involuntary miscarriage rather than taking one of those pills that causes a miscarriage. Yeah, because that law school 30 years ago, one thing I do remember, you, you probably could not criminalize an, an accidental or natural miscarriage. But exactly, you could, right. You could make someone's life hell by investigating them for uh, intentional miscarriage using, for example, the, the day after pill or one of the exactly. plan B and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. From a moral point of view, the miscarriage issue is extremely serious because women who miscarry now, even if it's accidental, unintentional, are facing potential prosecution. And that goes far beyond abortion, which is a clear 
choice that someone makes. And I'm sure that in the majority of cases, this is not an easy choice and it's painful for the mother um, to do that. But this is, this is taking this to new levels of cruelty in a way. Well, uh, and thus it has always been, because people forget that Buddhism was in a man's world. And even, you know, United States right now, or, or many of the European countries, you'd say we have greater equality of the sexes, but, and, and thus you have uh, women's voices being heard more. In Asia, in traditional Buddhism, women's voices were just not heard, not in the Sangha, not in the Buddhist community, and not in the wider society. Theoretically, you know, men and women are equal, and the Buddhism pays a lot of lip service to that. But the actual politics has been that celibate men. Celibate, yes. In Buddhism, make the rules. As the old joke goes, he who doesn't play the game makes the rule. Yes. And in particular, because back in the day, and we're talking about the Middle Ages, Dogen's time and all that, uh, there were no nuns, or there were very few nuns. I know that Dogen was a bit liberal about women, but they still didn't have monasteries for women back then. Am I correct? Yeah, and guess what? That's still the case. There are very okay. few, relatively very few, uh, women nuns. And not only that, uh, in some places, it's almost illegal to ordain women. The Sangha in Thailand said that they could not, would not, uh, officially approve the ordination of women for a technical reason. I'll mention in a second. So a few women had to run over to Sri Lanka to get ordained and then came back to Thailand. And the Thai Buddhist uh, community, especially the, the um, mainstream and the forest tradition, almost said no th Sri Lankan priests could come in here because you're coming in here, sneaking in here, and ordaining our women, and we don't, we don't want you to do that. <laughs> Bhutan just ordained this past week uh, about 150 fully ordained women, and it's almost unprecedented in Bhutan for hundreds of years. Ask me why. Hmm. Okay. Why is this unprecedented in Bhutan for hundreds of years? Again, now I'm the Zen guy going to Zen-splain someone else's Buddhism. I got to yeah. do this. But yeah. there was a rule, it kind of died out centuries ago, and there was a rule technically that you needed women to ordain women. And since there were no women to ordain women, you couldn't ordain uh, women. So that then, old catch-22, yes. It was a catch-22, yes. So uh, there are places that still uh, are quite hesitant of this. Ajahn Brahm uh, in... Uh, 2009, I believe, dared to ordain, fully ordain a few women, at which the forest tradition of Thailand kicked him out. Kicked hmm. him out. They kicked him out of the forest. They booted Ajahn Brahm to the gutter. Yes, he, they kicked <laughs> him out. No, he's not, he's not allowed in the forest anymore uh, for ordaining women. Now, you have ordained women in many places, such as Japan, but they've never gotten the resources or the leadership positions. They've never gotten the popular support of the men. So it's better now. A lot of the women will say things are better now, but it only became better, I would say, the last 30, 40 years. A lot of women never got equal treatment in Buddhism. And even if, you know, there are books that say if you go back 500 years, there was this great female teacher or that great female teacher, even in Zen, asterisk, 
they were few and far between because they were just not recognized. And they had to be very, right. very special women. So where do we go from here with this? Uh, the Zen can't make a decision on this. This is a country-specific issue. Buddhism can't make a decision. There's no Buddhist pope. Well, I, only uh, us men get to make a decision because one of the traditional rules of Buddhism is, <laughs> as a male uh, a monastic, uh, if I was a male monastic, I don't even have to live to listen to a woman's opinion. Do you know that rule that the Buddha supposedly put into place when he finally agreed after much begging by his aunt and Ananda to ordain women? Mm. He finally agreed. But he made eight special rules. Eight special rules for women. Eight special rules. And uh, two of them are uh, that a, a woman a monastic cannot complain even about a male monastic. And if a woman has been ordained, even for a hundred years, she is not allowed to advise or criticize or offer any guidance to a male monastic who has been ordained even a day. Hmm. So basically second-class citizens. No, about 20th class. But <laughs> yeah. uh, there, goes, uh, there goes the view of, uh, of equality in Buddhism. But the times are changing. We don't have to be bound by the past. Women have greater rights now in Buddhism almost everywhere, including in Asia, but in the West, than ever before. And I'm one man here to say that's a good thing. And uh, I don't know about abortion, whether it's, it's not my business, but I want to support every woman, Buddhist or not, who makes the decision for herself whether to get an abortion. And if she does, I'm one Buddhist who's here to say, what you need to do, you need to do. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating, tell your friends, you can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.